All right. So we are going to get down into everything about Fauci and his emails. There is quite a lot, quite a lot. Um, well, before we do that, I guess I'll get into these two super chats. Jesse Meek says, I haven't had a problem here or with most channels, but I've had to resubscribe to Guns and Gadgets twice. I've gotten a lot of messages from people saying that they've been unsubscribed and have to, to resubscribe. So unfortunately, I think that that's pretty common. Um, and Rick Kinnison, thank you for the donation. All right. So, um... To really get the full scope of these emails and what they reveal, we're going to rewind a little bit. Uh, we're going to start with a couple of interesting exchanges between Rand Paul and Fauci during different um hearings that were held in Washington. And we're going to look at some of the things that Fauci said during those hearings and check out some of the fact-checking articles that came up around it and some of the other history. And then we're going to compare it to what came out in the emails that were released and obtained by BuzzFeed and the Washington Post through FOIA requests. We're going to look at how the Washington Post interpreted those emails and reported on those emails. And we're going to look at the emails that they went through that they chose to not report on and why. And we're just, we're just going to go from there and it might take up the whole show. <laughs> it might take up the whole show. It's pretty detailed. We have a lot. Um, Oh, first, Joe Marisaw, again, he is the hero of the day, says, with everyone escaping liberal cities and liberal policies slowly taking over, how long before there are more people like the killdozer? An animal can only flee so much before it's fo forced into no choice but to fight. Well, um, that is an interesting question. Um... Uh, how can I answer that appropriately? <laughs> I mean, you, you might be meaning it as a rhetorical question. <laughs> um, I think that, and we I've talked about this on the show a few times, I think that what we are seeing in today's political climate is a big polarization between left and right, but even more so when it comes down to the individual states. So you're saying that people are leaving liberal cities and liberal policies are slowly taking over. There are some places where that is not happening or not happening as much, and we're seeing record people leaving these blue states and blue cities for these red areas. And we are seeing these red states put in place policies, sometimes preemptively against things that Biden has talked about doing, that the blue states have talked about doing. And what I think we're starting to see is really that separation. And I think that that gulf is really going to grow um, it makes the blue state folks really angry. I mean, just look at 
um, how they've been treating Ron DeSantis and everything that he's been doing in Florida. We've been seeing Florida take a stand. We've been seeing Texas take a stand. South Carolina is taking a stand, albeit quietly, but they're taking a stand just today, actually. Um, one of our reps who um, I accidentally stumbled upon his personal page on Facebook and he was posting lots of libertarian and ANCAP memes, which made me really happy. <laughs> I was thrilled to see that actually he, it seems like he's part of the Mises caucus, which is pretty cool that he managed to, to get to be a state rep and support it, supports the Mises folks. Um, He's introduced tons of bills and got it to the point where um, masks are now voluntary in schools so families can opt their children out of wearing masks. We've talked about that on the program. And just today there was uh, something put out that now some of the colleges like Clemson, for example, are also making masks voluntary so you no longer need to wear masks on the clemson campus they're not going to force people to be doing testing and they are not as far as i know going to require like vaccine passports or vaccination cards either which is pretty awesome so you're seeing red states enact policies like that and red businesses in red states doing stuff like that while the folks in the blue states are doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. And I think eventually we're going to see that separation continue. We're going to see, you know, more immigration. Um, hopefully people that are in red states that want those blue policies go away. And uh, the, the red folk, the, Red staters stuck in like Massachusetts and Connecticut move on to the red states. And then I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can say that it's probably unlikely that blue states and a blue government would allow a peaceful divorce. And then I suppose that is when everyone goes into their igloos and has a luau. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I don't see how all of this can resolve peacefully. And I, I'm not saying that as any sort of call to violence, YouTube or anyone listening out there that might misinterpret things. I'm just saying like looking at history and the fact that history tends to repeat itself and how polarized things are in today's political climate. I just don't see everything coming back together in like a kumbaya moment personally. So that's my take on it. And, um, oh, I saw another one come in. Jameson Wilfon says, happy Killdozer Day, a stand against government corruption. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So uh, we are going to go into this. So let me... I really wish that I could just uh, show this to you guys without having to move my microphone around. But all right. So first, this um, this is Rand Paul, who's like the only guy. Well, not the only guy. Him and like um, Senator Kennedy, I think, were really the only ones that have been standing up to Fauci, at least early on and asking the really hard questions. And a lot of these questions, like if they had been brought up by journalists, 
they they would have kept poking and poking and poking um and that wasn't allowed to happen so he should not get a copyright strike for this because it is on c-span and everything on c-span is for fair use so let's get this so like i said march 18th previously infected vaccinated what specific studies do you cite to argue that the public should be wearing masks well into 2022 i'm not sure i understand the connection of what you're saying about masks and reinfection we're talking about people who have never been infected before you're and telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, it's you not. the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let, let's get down to the facts. Okay, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper, they specifically say, this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. And what study or, can you point to that shows significant let, reinfection? There are no studies that show just significant let, let, me, let me finish the response to your question, if you please. The other thing is that when you talk about reinfection and you don't keep in the concept of variance that's an entirely different ball game that's a good reason for a mask in the south african study conducted by j and j they found that people who were infected with wild type and were exposed to the variant in south africa the 351 it was as if they had never been infected before they had no protection so when you talk about reinfection You've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months if point you're infected. But we in our country now have variants that are circulating. Significant reinfection. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild type versus variants. And what now, proof is there? What proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're having one one seven that's becoming more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the it isn't based on conjecture. Variants, so you some you won't be able to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine, who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people who've been vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? 
Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any science. I totally disagree with you. Dr. Fauci, if you could respond so that we could understand the difference between the uh, virus itself and the variants and the reason for a mask. I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't <laughs> If you could um, <laughs> respond to the question so that we could all understand the difference between the vaccine in uh, controlling the wild type versus the variants that are out there and the reason for wearing a mask, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, yes. First of all, when you have a variant, you have an immunity that you get what's convalescent. Sarah, and the same sort of thing. If I vaccinate you or me against the wild type, you get a certain level of antibody that's specific for a particular viral strain. If there's a circulating variant, you don't necessarily have it. You have some spillover immunity to be sure, but you diminish by anywhere from two to eightfold the protection. So the point I'm saying is that there are variants in now circulating. The point that Senator Paul was making was that if you look at wild type only, there is some clear cut credence to what he's saying. But we are living right now in a situation where we're having a dominance of 117, which was the original UK. We have a very troublesome variant in New York City, a 526. We've got two variants in California, a 427, 429, and we have a number of others. So we're not dealing with a static situation of the same virus. That was the only point I'm making. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So we had that clip where um, Fauci said, and this is important for later, he said that no, masks are not theater and that masks are important, even if you're vaccinated. And he said that like, oh, well, there was some research in South Africa that showed that if uh, people got vaccinated and they came into contact with this special South African strain, then, okay, well, then, then they didn't have immunity against that strain. But he wasn't able to point to any research or any evidence of that happening in the U.S. and even said, well, yeah, we don't really have, we don't have that strain in the U.S., and it's really unlikely, but is what he was saying. So we have that from Dr. Fauci. And then I want to bring up another video. And this was another hearing. Now, this one is even more important. This is from just three weeks ago. This is from May 11th. Senator Paul. Dr. Fauci, we don't know whether the pandemic started in a lab in Wuhan or evolved naturally, but we should want to know. Three million people have died from this pandemic, and that should cause us to explore all possibilities. Instead, government authorities, self-interested in continuing gain-of-function research, say there's nothing to see here. 
Gain-of-function research, as you know, is juicing up naturally occurring animal viruses to infect humans. To arrive at the truth, the U.S. government should admit that the Wuhan Virology Institute was experimenting to enhance the coronavirus's ability to infect humans. Juicing up super viruses is not new. Scientists in the U.S. have long known how to mutate animal viruses to infect humans. For years, Dr. Ralph Barrick, a virologist in the U.S., has been collaborating with Dr. Shi Zengli of the Wuhan Virology Institute, sharing his discoveries about how to create super viruses. This gain-of-function research has been funded by the NIH. The collaboration between the U.S. and the Wuhan Virology Institute continues. Doctors Barrick and Shi worked together to insert bat virus spike protein into the backbone of the deadly SARS virus and then used this man-made supervirus to infect human airway cells. Think about that for a moment. The SARS virus had a 15% mortality. We're fighting a pandemic that has about a 1% mortality. Can you imagine if a SARS virus that's been juiced up and had viral proteins added to it, to the spike protein, if that were released accidentally? Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan. Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entire, entirely and completely incorrect <laughs> that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? We do not fund, do you fund gain, Dr. Barrett's gain of function research. Dr. Barrett does not doing gain of function research. And if it is, it's according to the guidelines and it is being conducted in North Carolina. You don't think inserting China. a bat virus spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain of function. That is you would not be in the minority because at least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working yeah. Group saying yeah. that it is gain of function. Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain of function, despite the fact that people tweet that. So do you still support it. sending money to the Wuhan Virology Institute? We do not send money now to the to Wuhan do you Virology support Institute. sending money? We did, under your tutelage. We were sending it through EcoHealth. It was a sub-agency right. and a sub-grant. Do you support the money from NIH that was going to the Wuhan Institute? Let me explain to you why that was done. The SARS-CoV-1 originated in bats in China. It would have been irresponsible of us if we did not investigate the bat viruses and the serology to see who might have been or, infected. Or perhaps it would be possible to send it to the Chinese government that we may not be able to trust with this uh, knowledge and with this uh, incredibly dangerous viruses. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain of function research. I don't favor gain of function research in China. You are saying things <laughs> that are not correct. That's a lie. Government defenders of gain of function, such as yourself, say that COVID 19. Uh, mutations were random and not designed by man. But interestingly, the technique that Dr. Barrick developed forces mutations by serial passage through cell culture that the mutations appear to be natural. In fact, Dr. Barrick named the technique the noceum technique because the mutations appear naturally. Nicholas Baker in the New York Magazine said, nobody would know 
if the virus had been fabricated in a laboratory or grown in nature. Government authorities in the U.S., including yourself, unequivocally deny that COVID-19 could have escaped a lab. But even Dr. Xi in Wuhan wasn't so sure. According to Nicholas Baker, Dr. Xi wondered, could this new virus have come from her own laboratory? She checked her records frantically and found no matches. That really took a load off my mind, she said. I had not slept for days. The director of the gain-of-function research in Wuhan couldn't sleep because she was terrified that it might be in her lab. Dr. Barrick, an advocate of gain-of-function research, admits the main problem that the Institute of Virology has is the outbreak occurred in close proximity. What are the odds? Barrick responded, could you rule out a laboratory escape? The answer in this case is probably not. Will you in front of this group categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You support it in the U.S. We have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're you're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. And we should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how parsing many words, you're parsing you say words, it, there it was research. Happen. There was research done with Dr. Xi and Dr. Barrett. They have collaborated on gain-of-function research where they enhanced the SARS virus to infect human airway cells, and they did it by merging a new spike protein on it. That is gain-of-function. That was joint research between the Wuhan Institute and Dr. Barrett. You can't deny it. Senator So that was Fauci's explanation of saying that no such research had been done or had been funded by the NIH. And Rand Paul was correct in that he said that Fauci was parsing his words and was parsing his words very carefully. Because in a way, you could say that Dr. Fauci did not directly fund gain-of-function research. However, we even have this fact-checking article here from February 9th. And this was, um, you know, it's a PolitiFact fact-check. And... If you, you read, well, you don't even have to read behind the lines, between the lines. You can just read the lines. So fact check. Did Dr. Did Dr. Fauci fund research that created COVID-19? That is a very specific question. And their ruling is false. And it says, here's why. And it goes on and it basically reiterates what Fauci said during that hearing. But 
we have a couple important parts here. Although the NIH did fund a project at the Wuhan lab, there's no proof that the coronavirus was bioengineered. This is also important for later because this has now been disproved by the Fauci emails. Number one. Number two, this is about the grant itself. This is the grant that Rand Paul was referencing to Fauci that Fauci denied existing and said that there was no gain-of-function research involved. In 2014, the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, which is what Fauci is the head of, the part of the NIH headed by Fauci, awarded a $3.4 million grant to the New York-based EcoHealth Alliance, which aims to protect people from viruses that jump species to species. The group hired the virology lab in Wuhan to conduct genetic analysis of bat coronaviruses collected in Wunan province, about 800 miles southwest of Wuhan, and I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. EcoHealth Alliance paid the lab $598,500 over five years, the lab had secured approval from both the U.S. State Department and the National Institute of Health. So, Fauci said that he never supported gain-of-function research. He said that they never funded gain-of-function re- re- gain research. And what they did instead is they funneled it through this EcoHealth Alliance so they could accurately say like, yeah, we never funded game of function research, but they funneled it through EcoHealth Alliance and EcoHealth Alliance said, hey, we're going to study this gain of function research and we're going to use this lab over in Wuhan. And it was approved by the National Institute of Health. <laughs> um, it also goes on. The grant was approved in May of 2014. Five months later, on October 17th, the Obama administration announced it would not fund new projects that involved gain-of-function research, citing safety and security risks. The NIH told us that it reviewed the EcoHealth Alliance project after the funding pause and determined that it did not involve gain-of-function research, and as a result, it was not affected by the White House's new policy. This is also important when we're going to go over the emails. Also in this fact check, and this is also important for when we go through those emails, no evidence that the coronavirus was man-made. These Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, and the NIH, again, headed by Fauci, have all said that the virus was not derived from a lab. If the virus had been altered in a lab, its genomic data would show signs of tampering. Remember that for later. Although scientists from around the world have publicly shared the virus's genetic makeup thousands of times, there's still no evidence that the virus was bioengineered. On February 19th, 2020, public health experts signed a public statement to, quote, strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 
does not have a natural origin. And that's basically the important part from this fact check. So remember, the fact check says there's no evidence that it was man-made and that the NIH and CDC and World Health all came out and said there was no proof that it was man-made or had been tampered with in any way and that it was a natural virus. We also have this grant that uh, when they decided to pause gain-of-function research, they decided that this grant was outside of it. And remember, the pause was for new projects that involved gain-of-function research back in 2014 under Obama. We also have Fauci said that he never supported gain-of-function research ever. Well, that's funny because we have this op-ed that he penned for the Washington Post in 2012, or actually, I'm sorry, the end of 2011, saying the exact opposite. This op-ed that he wrote says, a flu virus risk worth taking. And he talks a little bit about, in the beginning, about um, the bird flu and how the regular flu isn't really all that deadly. But the bird flu, if it were to get into humans, and the few times that it has gotten into humans, has been really, really awful, he says. And he says, Working carefully with influenza viruses, they have engineered in isolated biocontainment laboratories scientists in Europe and the United States have identified several mechanisms with, by which the virus might evolve to transmit efficiently in the ferret the best animal model for human influenza infection. Now, to my understanding of what gain of function is, when they mess with viruses to see how it might be transmitted to humans... To my knowledge, that's what gain-of-function research is. And here he is talking about how scientists in Europe and the U.S. have been messing, at the very least, in 2011 with the flu virus and working on gain-of-function research to give it to ferrets to see how it could tra be transmitted to humans, right? This research has allowed identification of genetic pathways by which such a virus could better better adapt to transmission among people. This laboratory virus does not exist in nature. There is, however, considerable concern that such a virus could evolve naturally. We cannot predict whether it or something similar will arise naturally or when or where it might appear. Given these uncertainties, important information and insights can come from generating a potentially dangerous, dangerous virus in the laboratory. And then he talks about um, some of the other uh, the reasons why they might do this, other viruses that they've done it with. And then he says, the question is whether benefits of such research outweigh the risks. Nonetheless, new data provide valuable insights that can inform influenza preparedness and help delineate the principles of virus transmission between species. 
He says, along with support for this research comes a responsibility to ensure that the information is used for good. So right here, he is admitting that he supports gain-of-function research at the very least with the flu and with the bird flu. He goes on to say, the scientists, journal editors, and funding agencies involved are working together to ensure that access to specific information that could be used to create dangerous pathogens is limited to those with an established and legitimate need to know. So right there is an op-ed, again, from December 2011, where he says that gain-of-function research is a risk worth taking and he admits that it is at the time it was happening in europe and in the united states okay we also have uh this clip um actually it is a transcript we don't have the clip so this is also important when we get to those emails this is also about gain-of-function research, and this is on uh, Senator Kennedy's website here. So he's from Louisiana. So this was when he also questioned Fauci about the Wuhan lab and the speculation that it could have been man-made or tampered with or bioengineered in some way. And so this is from the Appropriations Subcommittee. Kennedy said, Dr. Fauci, I believe you have testified that you didn't give any money to the Wuhan lab to conduct gain-of-function research. Is that right? He says that's correct. Kennedy says, how do you know they didn't lie to you and use the money for gain-of-function research anyway? And Fauci says, well, we've seen the results of the experiments that were done and that were published and that the viruses that they studied are on public databases now. So none of that was gain of function. But remember, it sounded a lot like gain of function research from the description, at least, and it was approved by the NIH. Kennedy says, how do you know they didn't do the research and not put it on their website? And Fauci says, well, there's no way of guaranteeing that. But in our experience with grantees, including Chinese grantees, which we have had interactions with for a very long period of time, they are very competent, trustworthy scientists. And then Kennedy says, you think all of the scientists have told the truth in terms of the origins of the Wuhan virus and not been influenced by the Communist Party of China, do you? And Fauci says, I don't have enough insight into the Communist Party in China to know the interactions between them and the scientists. So then Kennedy then asks, here's where I'm getting at. You gave the money and you said, don't do gain of function research. Fauci says that's correct. And Kennedy said, and they said, we won't. Fauci agrees. Kennedy says, and you have no way of knowing whether they did or not, except you trust them. Is that right? Fauci says, well, we generally always trust the grantee to do what they say. And you look at the results. And Kennedy says, have you ever had a grantee lie to you? And Fauci says, I cannot guarantee that a grantee has not lied to us because you never know. 
And then finally, Kennedy says, can we agree that if you took President Xi Jinping and turned him upside down and shook him, the World Health Organization would fall out of his pocket? And Fauci says, I don't think I can answer that question. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We also have um, this article here. <laughs> And this um, this article here, some of it talks about that 2011. It's it's a 20. They say it's 2012, but the 2011 op-ed. But there's also a part um, that the original article is behind a paywall, so we can't go to the original article. But it's an investigation that was done by the Weekend Australian that also confirmed that Dr. Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, did not alert senior White House officials before lifting the ban on gain-of-function research in 2017. So this refers to the fact that Fauci, again, director of the Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases reportedly did not warn senior White House officials in the Trump administration when the ban ended on gain-of-function research in 2017. Fauci also previously argued that the benefits of conducting gain-of-function research outweighed the risk that it could spark a pandemic. And again, this is after he approved gain-of-function research to be done by a Wuhan lab using money that he had given to EcoHealth. Um, so this is from someone who actually wrote a book on all of this. And part of the article says the issue has been intensely debated as to whether or not knowledge obtained from these experiments could inadvertently affect public health in an adverse way, even in nations multiple time zones away. Putting aside the specter of bioterrorism for the moment, consider this hypothetical scenario, an important gain of function experiment involving a virus with serious pandemic potential is performed in a well-regulated world-class laboratory excuse me, by experienced investigators, but the information from the experiment is then used by another scientist who does not have the same training and facilities and is not subject to the same regulations. In an unlikely but conceivable turn of events, what if that scientist becomes infected with the virus, which leads to an outbreak and ultimately triggers a pandemic? And now this is an interesting question because we did see headlines not too long ago, about multiple scientists and lab workers in the Wuhan lab that were whisked away sick before any of this hit any of the news waves and were treated with some of these flu-like symptoms. China, of course, says, oh, it wasn't COVID and says that it has nothing to do with it. And it just so happens that all of these people in the lab working with these viruses just like magically got sick. <laughs> um, and then here it talks about, uh, you know, scientists might say that the benefits outweigh the risks. And indeed, that is something that Fauci has said. Yet papers published as late as last year in American peer-reviewed academic journals that include these researchers, including its prominent virologist, Shi 
Zhang Li, disclosed that work on coronaviruses had been funded by at least three National Institute of Health grants. Fauci has said, again, that U.S. taxpayer money never went to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to fund gain-of-function research. But here we have it, papers that were published in American peer-reviewed journals that include the Wuhan lab researchers, include prominent virologist Shi Zheng Li, disclosed that work on coronaviruses had been funded by at least three of these grants. That is pretty, pretty big deal. Multiple Trump administration officials told the Australian that Fauci did not alert them about restarting gain-of-function research. It was just, it kind of just got rammed through, one official said. I think there's truth in the narrative that the National Security Council staff, the president, the White House chief of staff, those people were in the dark that he was switching back on the research. And then it talks about, again, here's the fact check that mentioned the EcoHealth Alliance and how they gave almost $600,000 to this Wuhan lab um, to study the risk of future emergence of coronaviruses from bats. In 2019, the project was renewed for another five years, but it was canceled in April of 2020, three months after the first case of the coronavirus was confirmed in the U.S. EcoHealth, uh, in the U.S. EcoHealth ultimately received 3.7 million, yada, yada, yada. This date is also important that it was canceled in April of 2020. We're going to need that date as well shortly. And now finally... The last bit of background here. And as Pickle Jars for Hillary says, absolutely correct. Fraud, she lied. Freedom and the economy died. So these are all, the, this is all the background information here um, to show that Fauci was lying in those hearings. <laughs> uh, Michael J says the Liberty doll, those pesky simultaneously simultaneous office colds. So this is Dr. Ralph S. Barrick. So he's also one of the ones that Fauci was working with and they were giving some money to. And uh, this is the one that um, Rand Paul referenced. Dr. Barrick. So this is on Dr. Barrick's own website. And it says, for the past three decades, Dr. Barrick has warned the emerging coronaviruses represent a significant and ongoing global health threat, particularly because they can jump without warning from animals into the human population and they tend to spread rapidly. The Barrick lab uses coronaviruses as models to study the genetics of RNA virus transcription, replication, persistence, pathogenesis, genetics, and cross-species transmission with detailed studies of the molecular genetic and evolutionary mechanisms that regulate the establishment and dissemination of such a virus within a newly adopted host that sounds a lot like gain of function doesn't it 
Also, in 2017, he was awarded a grant for more than $6 million from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases to accelerate the development of a promising new drug in the fight against deadly coronaviruses, which is currently, magically, in clinical trials to reverse COVID-19 disease in humans. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? So that is all the background that we have on that. And of course, um, you know, there's all these articles that came out saying, oh, you know, lab leak theories were debunked. Uh, theories that any of this could have been funded by gain of function have been debunked. Um, any Anything on this virus being bioengineered, debunked, 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 debunked. That's what all... All the news outlets were saying, quite frankly, probably just because it was better to be contrarian to Trump. I mean, we even had this um, interview that Fauci did with National Geographic where he talked about, oh, you know, no scientific evidence. The coronavirus was made in a Chinese lab. And this was from May 4th, 2020 right after uh it was published right after they canceled the alleged gain of function research in the Wuhan lab interestingly enough it's it's some interesting timing here so now we have these emails all right and it's interesting. So this is the way the Washington Post reported on these emails. And the Washington Post says, oh, well, Fauci's pandemic emails say all is well despite some crazy people in this world. And the Washington Post, the emails that they got were, uh, they mention only March and April 2020. I think, I don't know if it's that they only mentioned this or if BuzzFeed was the one that got the uh, longer dates, but we have emails now from January on. So the way that Washington Post talks about these emails is they say, well, you know, as the COVID pandemic engulfed the world last spring, Science Magazine quoted a top Chinese health official saying the United States and other Western nations were making a big mistake by telling people, uh, not telling people to mask up. Science Magazine stands by its reporting, but the official George Gao worried that the comment might upset his longtime friend Fauci. He, so he emailed him. He said, I saw the science interview. How could I say such a word as big mistake about others? That journalists were, that was journalist's wording. Hope you understand. Gao, the director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, wrote to Fauci in a March 28th email, let's work together to get the virus out of the earth. And there's the actual email. Fauci said, I understand completely. No problem. We'll get through this together. The previously unreported exchange was among 866 pages of Fauci's emails obtained by the Washington Post as part of a FOIA request. 866 pages. And they did not talk at all about the fact that 
Fauci wrote in emails that masks don't actually work against COVID. They did not report on the fact that Fauci got multiple emails from different scientists saying, A, China is lying about their numbers, and B, it does appear that the virus has been tampered with and bioengineered, and they don't report on... (laughs) Any of the other lies that he had about gain-of-function research or any of that other stuff, 866 pages. And you know what they report on? Um, How he's friendly with some guy from China. They report on um, that he had tons of correspondence from colleagues, hospital administrators, foreign governments, and random strangers. About 1,000 messages a day, he says at one point, writing to seek his advice, solicit his help, or simply offer encouragement. And it talks about all the people that did email him. Uh, Bill Gates, for example, uh, the head of the NFL, for example, a documentary filmmaker with a working on a forthcoming Disney-packed biopic asked to ride along as Fauci drove to work. Um, yeah, there is actually a National Geographic and I believe a Disney <laughs> documentary about Fauci that was slated to come out. I don't know if it still will after this email drop. Um, They talk about how he had correspondence with Bill Gates and different people in Congress and how he has a reputation that he responds to people when they ask for help, even if it takes a long time. And it's very time-consuming, but I do respond, he says. The released emails show that Fauci indeed tried to answer many queries, sometimes hitting send well after midnight. And that's basically all that this article says. And it says... um how he just like responded to all these people and all these people were like, Hey, come talk to my employees or, you know, come do this interview or come do this documentary. And some he accepted and some that he didn't. Here it is again. um, This film is going to be released later this year from the Walt Disney company. And they're going to do a documentary about Fauci and they shot footage while he just went about his day-to-day life and that was one of the emails that he got and it just goes on and on about how some people emailed him to say they were so concerned about him um apparently it reveals that he had a google alert for his name (laughs) and um he would find articles or people would email articles back and forth about like people fangirling over Fauci, such as Fauci socks, Fauci donuts, Fauci fan art. The coronavirus expert attracts a cult following. And uh, there was also one, he received a Google news alert for his name, um, including an article about Cuomo crush and Fauci fever. Sexualization of these men is a real thing on the internet. And he forwarded it to his colleagues which have been redacted, and urged them to click the link. And that is what the Washington Post chose to report on. Meanwhile, Newsweek says, oh, well, so there's this one email or a string of emails where Fauci says that masks are not really effective at keeping out the virus. Well, that's weird that the Washington Post didn't report about that. 
Dr. Fauci wrote in February of 2020 that store-bought face masks would not be very effective at protecting against the COVID pandemic and advised a traveler not to wear one. In one message, Fauci uh, replies to an email from Sylvia, Sylvia Burwell, believed to be the Sylvia Burwell, who was Health and Human Services Secretary for three years under President Barack Obama. So this is not just some internet rando. This is an official, okay? Burwell had asked for advice about wearing face masks while traveling. Fauci's reply is dated February 5th and is available available in a document cloud provided by BuzzFeed. He wrote, Masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection, which, remember, was the first theory, even when he told people to mask up, was the first reason for the masks. If you're sick, wear a mask so you can't get other people sick. When he, you know, finally said, okay, masks. He says the typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit in keeping out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. He added, I do not recommend you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very risk, low risk location. So later on, he did interviews where he reversed course and people said, well, you know, you used to say that masks didn't work and not to wear masks. And he said, oh, well, you know, I, I was saying that because we had a shortage of PPE in the healthcare field. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that healthcare workers had enough masks. And really that was why we told people not to wear them. Well, if that's the case, and if you genuinely at that point believed that masks worked, why would you not tell people to like just tie a bandana over their face or a scarf or consider this? If the healthcare folks need the masks because they're at increased risks of, of contacting COVID because they're dealing with sick people, if, if that is the case, that the masks at that point, they decided protect people from sick people and from getting COVID, why not at that point tell sick people to wear masks and and say like, okay, wear the masks so that way if you're sick, you're not going to go and get your doctors sick. If that was the thought process and why he was telling people not to wear masks, I mean, that doesn't make sense. He could have told people to put anything over their faces and eventually he did, but long after the fact. He was questioned about this even on CNN. Um, well, we'll get to that one after. <laughs> um, we also have this article here. This is from uh, the Daily Wire. So this is one of the emails in which Fauci was warned that COVID potentially looked engineered and had some unusual features. And I just want to say that I have seen people 
that are really working to defend the Fauci narrative, saying things like, oh, yeah, but like, you know, the emails are proof that anyone could have emailed Fauci. And that doesn't mean that it's true. And it's like, okay, anyone could have emailed Fauci. Absolutely. But like, he responded to some of these people, some of these people that were emailing him with these concerns are doctors and scientists. So this one, for example, a top scientist warned Dr. Fauci in January of 2020 that SARS-CoV-2 had unusual features and looked like it may have potentially been engineered. The email was sent by Christian G. Anderson, professor, Department of Integrative Structural and Computational Biology at the Scripps Research Institute on January 31st of 2020. The email said, Hi, Tony. Thanks for sharing. So right here, we know that this was not just some random person that emailed Fauci out of nowhere. This is someone that he was having a conversation with. If it starts out by saying thanks for sharing. Yes, I saw this earlier today and both Eddie and myself are e are actually quoted in it. So now we know also that whoever this this Christian G. Anderson is, they are someone that has enough clout to be quoted in scientific articles. It's a great article, but the problem is that our phylogenetic analyses aren't able to answer whether the sequences are unusual at individual residues, except if they are completely off. On a phylogenetic tree, the virus looks totally normal, and the close clustering with bats suggests that bats serve as the reservoir. Well, and remember, in Rand Paul's questioning of Fauci, he talked about how there were scientists that were bragging about the way that they were doing their research, they could bioengineer or tamper with a virus and make it look like it hadn't been tampered with. I mean, that's kind of an aside and getting into the weeds a little bit, but it, it goes on. So on this phylogenetic tree, the virus looks totally normal and the close clustering with bats suggests that bats serve as the reservoir. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all of the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. And you know what like CNN and Washington Post and stuff got out of this? They said, oh, well, so the part that looks like it could be engineered is really small. And really the rest of it looks normal. It doesn't matter if the rest of it looks normal if there's a part of it that looks like it's been engineered. If something looks engineered, it can't evolve to look engineered. It's been engineered. And, you know, some of these viruses, it might just take one tiny little gene or something to make it exponentially more transmissible or transmissible, transmissible to humans. Scientists have been studying and doing gain of function research. We know this now from looking at all of that background before we got to the emails. Scientists know this. Okay, so already we have someone that said... <laughs> that part of the virus does look engineered and said we have to uh said 
I should mention that after discussions earlier today, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. But we have to look at this much more closely, and there are still further analyses to be done, so the opinions could still change. This was in January. Again, part of it looked engineered and that they found the genome was inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. Um, and then they later went on and said, oh, well, we don't actually think that it was engineered. But that doesn't explain this little bit there, right? Um, and here is an actual copy of the email. Um, the Wall Street Journal reported last week that three researchers from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, China's only biosafety level four laboratory, were hospitalized in November of 2019 with symptoms consistent with COVID-19, according to a previously undisclosed U.S. intelligence report. But according to Fauci, there was this was not even being studied in a lab. There was no gain of function research in a lab. There was no COVID in a lab. There was nothing to do with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and no one even had their hands in it. None of this existed. But here we have, oh, the Wuhan lab and they had researchers and, you know, lab assistants coming down with COVID in November. That is a little curious, isn't it? The details of the reporting go beyond a State Department fact sheet issued during the final days of the Trump administration, which said that several researchers at the lab, a center for the study of coronaviruses and other pathogens, became sick in autumn of 2019 with symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illness, according to the Wall Street Journal. The disclosure of the number of researchers, the timing of their illnesses, and their hospital visits come on the eve of a meeting with the World Health Organization's decision-making body, which is expected to, to discuss the next phase of an investigation into COVID-19's origins. By the way, <laughs> a lot of the people that they sent to investigate some of this stuff, were involved in the grants that were given by the NIH. Just saying. The Daily Rail reported last week that British professor Angus Dalglish, uh, I don't know, and Norwegian scientist Dr. Berger Sorensen write in a soon-to-be-released study that SARS-CoV-2 has no credible natural ancestor, and that it is beyond reasonable doubt that the virus was created through laboratory manipulation. We also have David Asher, who was part of the Trump administration's investigation into the origins of COVID, told Fox News last week that biostaticians for the U.S. government calculated that the odds of SARS-CoV-2 evolving in nature were 1 in 13 billion. That is information that Fauci had. He also had this email from a physicist 
Okay, this one came in mid-March 2020. A physicist sent an email to Dr. Anthony, Anthony Fauci that China was lying about the number of deaths in China due to the coronavirus, writing that he had been modeling this outbreak since January, adding the data posted by China is not only garbage, it has misled the world into a false sense of security vis-a-vis -vis death rate versus death rate, age versus death, and I truly believe the outbreak tsunami in the U.S. is either already happened or is about to happen. As you know, as soon as a surge is sensed, the tsunami will immediately follow. I believe we missed the containment boat quite a while ago. Fauci forwarded it to someone else and wrote, it's too long for me to read. And it, it is quite a long email. But this fellow, Eric A. Nielsen, who has a PhD in applied physics, started the email by acknowledging you're beyond busy, but I hope you read this message. And he said, I need to clear my conscience because it's possible, albeit unlikely, that some of what I tell you is new and possibly useful in at least saving lives in the U.S. And um, then he goes on with uh, the numbers that he ran and why he was convinced that China was lying about their numbers. And at this point, most of the world is convinced that China has lied about their numbers. So we don't really need to report on that. And he talks about um, the, how, you know, they fabricated data daily to save face and how the number of deaths they were reporting was different than the number of body bags that were seen there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and how he thought that the, that COVID had already been in the U S since late November, um, early December last year. This has been proven true. The wall street journal found that out and reported on that, um, earlier this year, late last year, maybe. And he goes on and talks about it. And he also talks about his belief uh, that, you know, this couldn't be purely evolutionary. And, uh, <laughs> you know, his trips to China and things that he's seen and, and why he thinks that it's also possibly bioengineered. That email was uh, completely ignored by Fauci and sent to someone else to read. So we have those. Um, and this is his response to his emails being leaked. You've had the distinct honor and pleasure of having some of your emails, many of your emails released to the public over the last few days. Uh, and there have been questions or controversy, some ginned up, um, but some questions raised about some of them, and I want to get you on the record uh, addressing some of them. Um, there was an email sent to you from an executive at EcoHealth Alliance, and this is one of the companies that funded some of the research at the Wuhan lab. And this email thanked you uh, for basically saying you believed that the origins of the coronavirus were natural. This email said, quote, I want, wanted to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators for publicly standing up in stating that the scientific evidence supports a natural origin for COVID-19 from bat to human spillover, not a lab release from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That email was April 18th. Now there are some of your critics who say this shows you had. And that email was after he had gotten the information that the virus looked like it was bioengineered and could not have evolved 
to infect people the way that he did. And he got an email from those folks at the Wuhan lab thanking him for saying that the lab leak theory and bioengineered theory was a conspiracy theory. Just to, just to reiterate. Too cozy of a relationship with the people behind the Wuhan lab research. What do you say to that? Oh, that's nonsense. I don't even see how they get that from that email. That email was sent to me from them. I have always said, and will say today to you, John, that I still believe the most likely uh, origin is from an animal species to a human, but I keep an absolutely open mind that if there may be other origins of that, there may be another reason. It could have been a lab leak. I believe if you look historically, what happens in the animal-human interface that in fact, the more likelihood is that you're dealing with a jump of species. But I keep an open mind all the time. And that's the reason why I have been public that we should continue to look for the origin. That email in no way, you can misconstrue it however you want. That email was from a person to me. I just wanna say, I would like to know when he talked publicly, besides when he was being grilled, by Rand Paul about the need to investigate this and see where it really came from. When did he say that? When did he have an open mind? Because I'm pretty sure everywhere he talked about how it was a conspiracy theory and had already been debunked. Be saying thank you for, for whatever it is he thought I said. And I said that I think the most likely origin is a jumping of species. I still do think it is at the same time as I'm keeping an open mind that it might be a lab leak. There was an email on April 16th, an email exchange between you and NIH Director Francis Collins. The email sent to you said, conspiracy theory gains momentum. And this, again, was the idea of the lab leak. Those emails, though, as you can see on the screen, or I can see on the screen, was all redacted between you and Francis Collins. Yeah. Do you have to remember? It, it, you know, Do you remember John, what was the email? <laughs> John, they only took about 10,000 emails from me. Of course, I remember. I remember all 10,000 of them. Give me a break. <laughs> so, but, but to be clear, you're saying you don't remember. You can't tell us what, what was in the body of that. I, I, I don't remember what's in that redacted. But there, I mean, the idea, I think, is quite far-fetched that the Chinese deliberately engineered something so that they could kill themselves as well as other people. Uh, I, I think that's a bit far out, John. Um, and then finally, there was an email from you to Sylvia Burwell, the, the former HHS secretary that had to do with masks. And this is getting a great deal of attention. And the date here is February 5th, which I think is hugely important. She apparently had asked you whether she should wear a mask on a trip. Uh, and you responded to her concluding, I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low risk location. That was February 5th. Right. A lot has transpired right. since then. If you had to go back and do it all over again, um, would you tell her something different? Do you regret that? Well, you know, John, let's get real here. If you look at scientific information as it accumulates, what is going on in January and February, what you know as a fact, as data, guides what you tell people and your policies. If March, April, May occur, you accumulate a lot more information and you modify and adjust your opinion and your recommendation based on the current science and current data. So of course, 
If we knew back then that a substantial amount of transmission was asymptomatic people, if we knew then that the data show that masks outside of a hospital setting are actually do work when we didn't know it then, if we realized all of those things back then, of course, mm -hmm. you're asking a question, would you have done something different if you know what you know now? Of course people would have done that. That's so obvious. And uh, yes, my mic did fall off the table in the middle of that. I see some people commenting this. Uh, mic was not designed to move around like that, unfortunately. But um, yeah, even that part when he's saying, oh, well, I mean, if we had known that like, oh, there was all of this spreading from asymptomatic cases, there, there was, I believe, only one study about that that came out of China, and it was debunked. It's now been debunked that um, asymptomatic people were spreading the virus. Because if you're asymptomatic, then you're not coughing on people, you're not sneezing on people, you're not releasing the droplets. So, I mean, even that was not truthful. <laughs> Larry Hutton says even the mic can't stand Fauci. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I want to read this uh, super chat here by Jesse that says, didn't know exactly what gain of function research was. Just looked it up and I think I just read the plot to every communicable disease horror movie ever written. I don't scare easily, but holy shit. Um, and right, people are saying like, oh, CNN was saying that the, the emails were leaked and they weren't. That's a good point. Um, they were given through a freedom of information request that I'm actually really surprised was honored, quite frankly. Um, but I, I am very surprised about that. So actually, you know, just for shits and gigs, we'll, we'll do gain of function on DuckDuckGo really quick. Um, we'll do here. We'll, we'll, we'll go the easy way and we'll go with wiki because why not? Um, let's see, uh, gain of function research is a term used to describe any field of medical research, which, which alters an organism or disease in a way that increases pathogenesis, transmissibility, or host range, which are the types of hosts a microorganism can infect. This research is intended to real, reveal targets to better predict emerging infectious diseases and to develop vaccines and therapeutics. For example, Example, influenza B can only infect humans and harbor seals, introducing a mutation that would allow influenza B to infect rabbits in a controlled laboratory situation would be considered a gain-of-function experiment as the virus did not previously have that function. However, such an experiment could help reveal which parts of the virus are responsible for its host range, enabling the creation of antiviral medicines which block this function. So, well, gee... Um, that sounds an awful lot, lot like what Fauci was talking about in his op-ed of manipulating viruses to infect ferrets. 
to study them. That sounds a lot like what Dr. Barrick was doing in his research that was being funded by Fauci and the NIH. It sounds a lot like the research that was funded by an NIH grant that was given to EcoHealth, which then gave money to the Wuhan lab and was approved by the U.S. State Department under Obama and the NIH. <laughs> that Fauci denies ever happened and ever existed. <laughs> As Talisman says, simply put, they mutated the COOF to infect humans, whereas it could not previously naturally have done that. Exactly. And finally, as a fun little ending to all of this, <laughs> we have Fauci was getting a book deal out of this. So he was getting a documentary from National Geographic. He was getting a documentary like biopic from Walt Disney. He got a children's book. And now he was supposed to be getting a book about truth, service, and life philosophy. Dr. Anthony Fauci is set to release a book in the fall offering readers lessons about life philosophy. The 80-page book, which is titled Expect the Unexpected, 10 Lessons on Truth, Service, and the Way Forward, will debut in November and recently became available for pre-order. Well, it did for a short period of time. <laughs> According to the Amazon listing, which uh, has actually now been removed, so we can't see it. But at one point, it said, in his own words, world-renowned infectious disease specialist Anthony Fauci shares the lessons that have shaped his life philosophy, offering an intimate view of one of the world's greatest medical minds as well as universal light advice to live by. With more than three decades spent combating some of the most dangerous diseases to strike humankind, being AIDS, Ebola, and COVID-19, for example, Dr. Fauci has worked in daunting professional conditions and shouldered great responsibility. The earnest reflections in these pages offer a universal message on how to lead in times of crisis and find resilience in the face of disappointments and obstacles. That, that little bit is from the Barnes & Noble listing that has also been removed. So, you know, yes, he, he led in this time of crisis and got all these documentaries and book deals out of it and was plastered all over television and all over the, the news and all over magazines and newspapers and websites and Facebook and Twitter and all of these places. By the way, there is an email that was released that came from Zuckerberg to Fauci about COVID and the way that Facebook wanted to handle COVID and COVID information. And a uh, good chunk of that email is redacted. So we have no idea what it says, but uh, it's probably about how they were just going to nix anyone who said anything against Fauci or the CDC or the popular narrative. So, 
Fauci was all set to release this book, and it was unclear how much money he was going to get from it and if he was going to get any royalties, but oh, it's been scrubbed from the internet. And the publisher is saying like, oh, well, they, they accidentally and prematurely posted it for pre-sale, um, but it, it was up for at least 24 hours before they pulled it. The listing for Dr. Anthony Fauci's upcoming book was removed from both Amazon and Barnes and Noble on Wednesday. And uh, it was right after he was taking heat for the allegations that he was profiting from the pandemic. The publisher, National Geographic Books, clarified in a statement to the Daily Mail, however, that Fauci, the nation's highest paid federal employee, will not receive royalties from the book, which is titled blah, blah, blah. Um... But he is getting royalties from the documentary and the Disney biopic thing and the children's book, if those things still get published. The book was prematurely posted for pre-sale, which is why it was taken down, the publisher said. The book was developed by National Geographic Books in connection with an upcoming National Geographic documentary film about Dr. Fauci. He will not earn any royalties from its publication. <laughs> And it was originally posted for a November release and that you could pre-order it. And uh, that is now taken down and is gone. And there is no longer any listing. You have to use an old version from like uh, archive.today or the Wayback Machine or something to get it. And then it talks about the emails and blah, 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 blah. So we have that. And then um, on the heels of that, also, we have the FIRED Act being introduced. The Fauci Incompetence Requires Early Dismissal Act. This was on May 26th, which um, I think is even before the emails were released, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, <laughs> and this is when, uh, you know, I believe this is before the emails. So that's interesting. Um, it was proposed by uh, Representative Warren Davidson from Ohio. Um, and it says that Dr. Fauci represents everything that President Eisenhower warned us about in his farewell address. The scientific technical elite steering the country towards their own ends. Americans have had decades of Dr. Fauci's leadership, and he publicly failed to respond appropriately to the COVID-19 pandemic. It is time for him to step aside so that new leadership can follow the science and start reopening America. The bill sets a 12-year term limit for appointees serving in the capacity of the director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which Fauci has held since 1984, which is a really ironic and coincidental date. So we have that happening. Um, there has been several Congress people now demanding an investigation into the lab leak theory and uh, Fauci's emails and all of that. And then we had this tweet from Jack Posobiec, who was saying that White House staff are actively discussing an exit strategy for Dr. Fauci following the release of emails per a White House official. And that was two days ago. And then it took two days 
for the White House to hold a press conference and say, no, we're not planning to fire Dr. Fauci. But that doesn't mean that they'll ask for his, they won't ask for his resignation or say that, you know, he uh, left the NIH to go pursue book deals or a quiet life in the country or something like this. So this just happened today and uh, this will be the final point we make and we'll go over the super chats and that'll be it speaking at the white house press briefing on friday white house press secretary jen Psaki gave an emphatic monosyllabic answer when asked if she could imagine any circumstance where president biden would ever fire dr fauci she said bluntly no <laughs> And they even questioned her. They said, you mentioned Dr. Fauci. There have been these emails that have come out through a FOIA request that make it seem like we knew he had his hands full at the time trying to figure out what to do. But it seems like there were times that he was saying one thing in email and then coming to his microphone and saying something else. If that is the case, and if that affected U.S. policy posture at the time, should he be held accountable and she said, well, I've talked a little bit about Dr. Fauci, and Dr. Fauci has been out doing several interviews himself and answering questions on these emails and questions that you all may have. He's a renowned public servant, civil servant, I should say, career civil surgeon. Yeah, he's a career public civil servant. He's the highest paid federal employee. It is a career He's overseen management of multiple global health crises and attacks launched on him are certainly something we should we wouldn't stand by. I understand there's interest in the emails. He's answered a lot of questions on the emails. I don't think I'm going to have much more to add on them from here. So she says that they would never fire him, but also when asked if he would be held accountable for the content of his emails, she doesn't actually answer and says, oh, I'm not going to add anything. <laughs> oh, goodness. So that is, uh, that, that is everything about the Fauci scandal and the Fauci emails and all the background on it. So now you know, now you know, like, pretty much every detail that I could find about it and squish together into uh, about an hour and a half. So I know that there were some super chats that came in that I haven't read uh, because I was trying to squeeze in all of the information. So I'm going to jump to those. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Um, Rod L. Miller says, I noticed at a doctor's office mask depleted my blood oxygen by three percent oh that's kind of scary if a virus cancer and other illnesses thrive when one's oxygen supply is low why mask well that is an excellent question and now we we know that we can't really trust anything that fauci might say on that so um i know that there were some studies that came out that did say that it you know, masks supported oxygen depletion. Um, masks supported um, other illnesses that you could get, other respiratory illnesses because of like the moisture and things like that. There were those couple of kiddos that died in their gym classes in China because they were told to exercise with their masks. 
I mean, certainly we, we have some information that they might not be so great. And then we had these emails from Fauci. And I mean, granted, it seems that his opinion changed and we don't know why it changed. We can speculate and we can hypothesize, but his original statement was that the masks did not actually stop the viral spread because the virus was too big or too small rather and the gaps in the fibers were too big and then on top of that remember he said in the email and his original stance when he finally told people to mask up was that it stops sick people from spreading it it doesn't stop you from getting it it stops you from spreading it more if you are sick. Jesse Meek hits the nail on the head. He says Fauci is more politician than scientist. Only a politician could go back and forth on their own statements this often. And he said that he was following the science, but I mean, it. the emails at least suggest that in some capacity he was also following the money and he was following popular opinion at the time and being contrarian to Trump just to be contrarian to Trump. I mean, we, we know that he funded and approved some of the, this research, this gain of function research on these viruses in Wuhan on coronaviruses that were being researched in bats, which is supposedly where these came from. And we know that the that he received emails from Chinese officials thanking him for not saying that it was engineered or released or leaked from a lab. Like, and when he says, like, oh, well, why would China create this virus to kill themselves? Like, that is so stupid. Why does any country or government create bioweapons or atomic weapons or anything like that it's never like oh well, we're going to create this and unleash it on ourselves it's no we're going to create this and unleash it upon our enemies or use it as leverage to get people to do what we want and do what we say like hello he's supposedly one of the smartest guys in the country and he's like oh well china wouldn't have created it because it just would have killed them like really that's what i say to that <laughs> Warren Harrison says, I strongly urge all to see the reporting and investigation at thehighwire.com. I can decide.org the evidence on lab origins and the dangers of the jabs. Pickle jars for Hillary. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, I, I did read this one earlier. He said, uh, fraud, she lied, freedom and the economy died. Yeah. Fauci lied, businesses died. Thank you, Lance Penzone, for the super sticker and the donation. That is very kind. Uh, Leonidas Alberia says Merle Haggard's song Rainbow Stew describes the America we've all been needing. Also, everyone watch the movie Outbreak. Similarities, anyone? I don't know if I could watch a movie like that. I think I've just like been oversaturated. Um, you know, being that I I follow the news, but then also I, I turn around and try to report it on it for you guys i don't even think that i could watch anything like that now and uh pickle jars for hillary says 40 years no aids vaccine nine months kufavax suspect yeah i suppose it is um 
I mean, I do know that every time there's like some big pandemic, whether it's, um, you know, SARS or um, H1N1 or Ebola or anything like that, um, immediately labs will start working on vaccines. And nine times out of 10, the virus or pandemic illness, whatever it is, it's going kind of like runs its course and runs itself out. As someone mentioned in the comments earlier, a lot of these viruses and things mutate the way that they mutate ends up not being beneficial for the viruses. And so they, they die off. And that's what happens with a lot of these different um, pandemics and, and illnesses and stuff that come out and they die off before the vaccine can ever be finished or used. So I know that it was said that they're like, Oh, well, we had this similar vaccine for the similar thing already. And we just had to tweak it a little bit, but typically these things take 10 years of testing and research, even if they just switch one tiny molecule in a medication, like it needs at least 10 years of research. And this was just supercharged in like nine or 10 months. And so personally, that's why I'm not trusting it. Um, I know that everyone has their own different opinions and are going to do their own different things. Um, but that that's just me. And uh, the final super chat here, Jameson Wilfon says, Saki needs to get a clue. I'm partial to gingers, but she is one I would run from. <laughs> and oh, I see above that it's not a super chat, but Torque One says, So you think you can trust any other government employees? The mailman, maybe. I, I would trust my mailman to deliver my mail. I wouldn't trust the mail handling facility necessarily. I've known a lot of mailmen and what goes on in those places. But, I, you know, my mailman, I like the mailman, the mail lady here. She's really nice. Um, she usually shows up in one of those, like, boomer shirts that has, like, a dog on it or a cat on it or something. Um, she doesn't care that the, dark, that the dog barks at her every time she's outside. She loves it. She's happy. She's cheery. I trust her to bring me my packages. That's 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 about the only government employee I can think of. <laughs> no, I would not trust the TSA either, Andrew Kang. No way. Huh. All right. So it is. Wow. It is 850. I definitely have to jump over to my D&D call. I'm sure at least one of them is watching this and snickering at me. Uh, we've gone for an hour and 45 minutes. That seems to be uh the pattern lately, but I'm glad that I got all the information and I did have to skip over some of it, but thanks everyone for tuning in, um, for all the likes, all the donations, especially thank you to the mods that were here and all of the folks in the chat that are Patreon and subscribe star supporters or support on the website. You guys are awesome. And, uh, help keep this channel going. So with that, everyone, good night, stay safe. And uh, I like this as David Neal says, good night, all live long and prosper. <laughs> so I will see you guys next week.